0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmanuelAG.com. Today, we're going to jump into a new series and I want to remind you guys, those that Um, want to continue your worship with giving, we encourage you to do that online. You can do it through our website. You can do it through your phone with the Tidely app. And of course, we've got the buckets in the back where you can drop in your gift back there as well on your way out. Um, And we just appreciate everyone's faithfulness to continue to support what God is doing here and then around the world with our missionaries. Next week, we're gonna have one of our missionaries here uh, sharing a little bit about what's going on. You've gotten to hear from her. She was a part of our congregation for a while, but she'll be passing back through the States Um, and sharing a little bit about what God's doing in Hungary. And so I'm excited about that. So we'll be streaming that online. It's not a a sensitive country, so we'll be able to to share what God's doing there through her and through the ministry that she's working with. Uh, But definitely make sure you come back and and listen as our missionary will be sharing. But today, um, I am excited to start a new series called Summer in the Psalms. Do we have that back there? Our Summer in the Psalms. So we did this last year um, but there are so many psalms. I think we could probably do this for at least 30, 35 years and, and just finally hit them all once. Branson's like, no, don't do it. But our summer in the Psalms last year we only did a few psalms. I believe we we started with Psalms 23. we went to 27, 51 and I believe a 100 if, if I remember correctly. And so it was there's so many that talk about a variety of different topics that this year, We're going to break it up a little bit and uh, hone in on a a few new ones, and I believe the Lord's really got something special for each and every one of us. But before we dive into that, can I invite you to pray with me this morning again? Father, I just ask that in our moment now, as we get into your word, um, that you would give me your words. I know that I'm a little foggy headed, and um, I just need you to speak through me today. I need you, God, to... um, bring your Holy Spirit's life to the things that we are about to digest and let them be spirit and let them be truth. And Lord, feed each one as we have need. Um, Some in here that are uh, trusting you for some uncertain things that are ahead of them, uh, others that are just trying to find their way in their relationship with you, others that are looking for restoration in their own relationships here on earth. God, I'm, I'm just believing that as we share and dive into your word, that you're going to meet each and every one of us where we are. And we're going to come out of this um, wanting to be closer to you and reflecting you well in this world. And so, God, I just pray that you would speak to each one of us. Uh, our hearts are open. In your name we pray. Amen. And so today we're going to be in Psalm 42. You can turn there. We'll be uh, reading it here in a minute. Not yet, um, but one of the things I love about the Psalms, just to give a little bit of an intro to them, I love that they they talk about so many different topics. Um, you have laments, you have hunger for God's presence, you have repentance, you have rejoicing and singing and dancing. You have so many different things that the psalmist writes about, some all in one Psalm, some very focused on that one idea or that one topic. But Above all of those things, you have a very raw expression from the psalmist. He expresses his heartache and his struggle. He's very he's very real and transparent, and that's one of the things that I really value. I value here that um, that we remove the mask. Maybe not the ones that you're wearing now because of COVID, but we remove the mask that we wear so often to portray what we want others to believe is true, even when we know it's not. And and God already knows. And the psalmist really comes to that place. He's like, God already knows. Here's, what I, here's the roller coaster of my emotions and what I'm struggling with. And my enemies are going to overtake me. Would you, you know, God, where is your presence? And, and he's so transparent that we see that a lot of it fits so much of the vision that we have here as a church that we would come and encounter God, encounter, connect, grow, our three uh, main vision words, that we would encounter the Lord. And and David, I believe his entire life was set up as a young man, as a teenager who encountered the Lord on the hillside watching over his daddy's flock and that he developed this, this culture of worship. And so we see so much of that reflected in what the Psalms record because he had encountered the Lord and it had formed him to who he was. And then we see how his connection both with, uh, with the psalmist, with himself and with God, there's this understanding, there's this transparency, there's this self-realization, there's this, I need God, though, in the midst of all these things that we see that there was this connection with humanity and with God alike. And it causes this growth that sometimes the psalmist give us half the story and redemption gives us the other half. We get, we get half the story through some of the psalms, but we don't see the fulfillment of the promises that God has, has given us through Christ. And so some of those that we, ha- we have to finish the story and the narrative of God's redemptive work in our lives. And that's where we begin to see the growth that God desires for all of us. And so the psalms though, are literally riddled with this raw poetry. And it is among the five sections of, of the Old Testament, you would have the Torah, you, which is the Pentateuch, those first five books, and then you'd have the historical books, the prophets, the writings, and then you would get the poetry. And it would fall towards the end. And in the Psalms, though, they would say that poetry takes up about 75% of Scripture, though, in total. Because even in those other writings and historical books, you have such poetic reflections. You have Moses's sister on the other side of the Jordan giving a song in poetic form. You have those that would write uh, ballads as love songs that are, that are recorded as, as some of the prophetic uh, writings. You would have others that, that would make up the 75% of what it would be considered poetry and a, that genre within the scripture. And so the Psalms don't necessarily just stand alone. But they stand with a category that is very, very, inter- it's woven throughout all of the Old Testament and all of Scripture. And the Psalms itself, the, where we're going to begin today in Psalm 42, it's the beginning of book number two, the way that the Psalms are divided. And book number two is really, um, it really focuses on how God goes before us. A lot of the Psalms talk about how God goes before us, and, and, it's, and it encompasses Psalms 42 through 72. And right here at the beginning of all of that, we get chapter 42, which is what we're going to read and look at today. So I'm going to read the entirety of it, and then we're going to go back through it, spending some time looking at verse by verse. Psalm 42, verse one, it says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God, my soul thirsts for God. For the living God, where can I go and meet with him? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Verse six, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love and night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And so Psalm 42, he starts out this second book with such a longing and a desperation for God. He he writes, he says, just as the deer pants for those streams of water, so my soul pants for you. And he talks about this this desire, this deep desire to encounter, to see, to meet with the Lord God Almighty, and the psalmist de- describes it with such intense longing. Have you ever experienced anything like that? That you longed for? Maybe you were in a, a love relationship, you were in the dating season, or or maybe it was it's still alive and well in your marriage, forty years down the road. But there was this tense longing to be with, to be in someone's presence, to think about day and night. He feels consumed by wanting to be with God and in his presence. And he reminisces on something that used to be and wishes for it to be that way again. There's a lot of this in scripture. God, we've, we've heard of your fame and we remember what you did. Would you do it again? Would you renew it in our days? As the prophet Hosea would say, Habakkuk, I'm sorry. But I'm reminded as we look at these scriptures, something that I used to, I love about C.S. Lewis. How many of you guys are C.S. Lewis fans in here? Ah, I'm a big Lewis and Tolkien both fans. Um, just the the inklings in general, that whole group of those guys that would get together that were writers. But Lewis would reflect on the Psalms like this one, and he would say he would say so often there is something that is identified in the Psalms in the Psalms as they were as they're writing of this personal er, experiential knowledge of God. Something that he would feel like that in the Western world, we don't connect with fully. And he says, it seems that the ancient Jews had an experience that was richer than what we moderns tend to experience. They had this experience because maybe they were not conscious of some divide between the literal and the abstract. They were willing to see that all things that literally the Ark of the Covenant would represent God. And that when that was in his house, that God was in that house. And C.S. Lewis would call this, would you throw that up there, an appetite for God. He saw this throughout the the psalmist writing. He calls it this appetite for God. And a lot of what drove Lewis to write the works he did was this longing to portray what he desired to encounter and to to live in, which was God in the flesh, God in our midst. This appetite for God is what drove him. And I don't know how many of you guys know that it was actually... um, Lewis's and and Tolkien's relationship that encouraged them to actually publish what they had written, because many of them were just things that they would share around a table at a pub in, in England. And it was called, the group was called the Inklings. They would write their thoughts down. But through those relationships, they spurred one another on to express that appetite for God in all their writings. And Lewis especially did that. And, and I think about how the psalmist here is, can be categorized in so many ways. And, and uh, there's a painting, would you throw up there, this is by a French painter and illustrator of David dancing before the ark. And I couldn't find a really high quality, but you'll find this uh, in, the, in the museum in New York um, that, that showcases a lot of the Jewish history. And this for David was probably the most celebrated day. And he's got clothes on right here, which isn't even a full description of what we're told happened in scripture, where he acts a fool and gets down to his skivvies and his wife is ashamed of what he is doing, literally dancing before the presence of God. And James Tissot paints this, and I love the painting and, and just a little bit of the life of what this French illustrator, he typically would paint women. In in his modern era, in fine, uh, in fine clothes, but he had a revival of his own faith in 85 and began to paint historical biblical events. And a lot of them were of the psalmist encountering God in his presence and depicting the longing and the desire that the psalmist had. And, and if you've ever heard of Thomas Kincaid, if you look up some of James Tissot's uh, French paintings, he has this way of capturing light. Like Thomas Kincaid does, where you can kind of look and it—he illuminates things, and a lot of it was centered around the presence of God would illuminate his paintings, and it's really, really fascinating. But the psalmist expressed this longing that as a deer would pant for streams of water, so does my soul long for you, God. My soul pants for you. My soul thirsts, and then he reiterates it for the living God. This wasn't something that was stagnant. This wasn't something for the psalmist that was going to not satisfy him when he, when he tasted of it, but it was going to be something that was living as, as he compares it to water, living water, the fountains of life, as the, as the Psalms would say in Psalm 36. This is God who in verse eight, he would say, the God of my life. If he wanted to encounter this living God, the one who would sustain him, the one who would overcome his enemies, the one that would that would that would come and, and make everything that was wrong right again, that's what the psalmist believed would happen. And he has this desperate longing. And I want to share a little bit. I feel like in my in my early years of my faith, I had a, a lot of this tension developed within me. And, and what do I mean? The tension of God satisfies me, and He is the only one that will ever satisfy me. But yet I want more of him. And in my teen years, there was a guy, I don't know, maybe Tom and Terry, you'll remember, um, especially he he spoke a lot down in, in Brownsville. And his name was Tommy Tenney. And he had written a book called The God Chasers and I would hear it and he wrote all kinds of different ones uh, there was the god chaser for teens there was um I think there was one for parents like chasing god when you're chasing your kids and it was like all kinds of just god chaser books and there's there's the there's the one uh, the main book that he had written and he would go around and he would speak about this about chasing after god and and I had tasted of something as as a teenager that I knew was real. What I knew was something that, having grown up in Christian school, that I hadn't hadn't seen. I hadn't tasted of it before. But when I had an experience with the Lord in His presence, there was no denying it for me. And I knew that what He had and what I saw others had, I wanted it. That was my story. As someone grew up in a in a good home with great parents. I still knew that there was something that Jesus had for me that was meant to be mine and personal. And so a lot of what drove me in those years was this appetite for God, was this longing of what the psalmist talks about, that as, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Having tasted that he is good, there yet is more. Having tasted that he is faithful, to help me trust that he will be faithful again there's this longing of having tasted but yet knowing that it will prepare propel me in toward towards the future of what he has for me of how he will behave in his nature to to continue to be the god that i've known him to be and that's what we see the psalmist struggle with here and there was even an album that came out it was a vineyard album literally titled uh, if you'll throw up that next one and this is where candy i always give her such a hard time you remember the hungry album tom Hungry, I come. T- so there was a song that literally, Candy, I think, knew all the songs and could play the chords. And she's watching right now, I'm sure, through that, through that phone. And and I would give her such a hard time because it would be like 15 years later, and she'd go back to the Hungry album. And I'm like come on, there's new ones though. There's new songs. We can play a different one. And she would always go back to these, I think, because that's where we cut our teeth in our teen years of of these worship songs, of being hungry for God. And there was just this wave that was sweeping our nation and the world of longing and being desperate for him. I think one of the things that we have lost is our churches have become about entertainment and we've lost a desperation for his presence. The last thing I want is for us to come in here, myself included, wait for someone to entertain us with some songs, someone to speak some words, and then for me to walk right back out, no different than I walked in. I don't believe that's God's will for us. And there's so much apathy that we see right now in our culture where we're afraid to offend. Maybe my faith will, will make someone uncomfortable, or maybe, maybe my longing will make someone uncomfortable, including myself. And, but the psalmist did not care what others thought of him. David did not care. His desperation for the presence of God even caused his wife to not understand him and to ridicule him and to misunderstand that I am desperate to be in God's presence. And I've got to have it. If I don't have it, what else do I have to live for? I believe the psalmist would say, and for us, let, the, let this, these first few verses lay a foundation for us understanding where the psalmist is going, but also for a life that is lived on God satisfies, but I want more of him and less of me. God is the only one who will fill those holes, but I want to give him all of me. Lord, help me do that fully. And there's this, it all starts with, as the deer, pants for the water, so my soul, pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. Jesus would say it this way in Matthew 5, verse 6. I think we have that back there. Jesus would say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? They will be filled. Those who hunger and those who thirst, Jesus says, they will be satisfied. They will be filled. Paul even puts it this way. And then this is uh, an interesting way that he kind of paints his credentials, so to speak, And he he paints them in such a way of what he is willing to lose in light of what he has to gain. Listen to this. Paul says in Philippians chapter three, verse three, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. He says, verse four, though I myself, I have a reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So what is he talking about? He says, hey, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I am a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the churches. for righteousness, based on the law, I was found faultless. And this is where I want us to hone in. But whatever were gains to me, I now literally consider those loss for the sake of Christ. And the word there is literally, I consider them to be dung, to be heaps of dung for the sake of knowing God. Everything that I could put that I could put in a resume, a spiritual resume here of what qualifies me, he would say, I would consider all of that to be literally less than nothing. He says that I could just He says what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, I would consider it all a loss for the sake that I have lost all things. I would consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. There's this desire that propels him. And in verse 10, I'm gonna skip down there. He says, I wanna know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate even in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death to so somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. And he goes on, he says, not that I've obtained all this, but I press on. So Paul even understood this this tension of Christ has satisfied, but yet I desire to be fully his, to live is Christ, to die is gain, Paul would say in other letters. And he recognizes this desire to propel him into a full surrender of God. Yes, it is only you and you alone, but Lord, there's got to be more. There has got to be more in our day. There's got to be more than what I'm experiencing. There's got to be more, the psalmist would say, than what is happening around me in my life, at our church, in our communities. There has got to be more. And to me, this is the foundations of what sets people up in desperation for God to cry out for him to come again and reign in power, for his kingdom to come. And it has to start with a desire and a hunger, an appetite for God, as Lewis would say. And so we get to this Psalm, Psalm 42, and in verse three, he says, My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? The question is really the same one that he's been asking. Where is my God? Where can I go to meet with him? And it's no different than uh, what Psalm 84 would say. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out. And the psalmist here expresses this desperation where literally tears have become his sustenance. Have you ever gone through a season where it seemed like your sadness was the only thing that kept you going? That's what the psalmist is writing about. He's like, literally, my tears have become my food. This is what I'm consuming day and night. Because Lord, where are you? Even the people around me are asking me, and I feel like they're right. Where are you? But the sustainment of his life, the questions that he is asking, causes him to turn back towards God. And this is what I think is really, really interesting. He talks about it in verse, let's see here in verse uh, four, I'm going to read this. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. His desperation has taken him to a, a, a place of remembering. and and from his tears becoming his sustenance to drive him back to hunger for God. He now is remembering, I remember the days when we used to go together. I remember when God was doing something great in our midst. I remember when the culture wasn't the way it is. I remember when the families weren't falling apart the way they have. I remember when addiction wasn't running rampant, and I didn't have to keep checking the statistics every day. I I remember when things were different around me, the psalmist would say. I remember when race wasn't politicized. I remember when things weren't the way they are in our culture and everything is stressful and heightened with suspicion. He says, I remember that. God, would you come? Would you come? And that's where he cries out with desperation. Would you bring us back to a place of dependency upon your presence? Because you recognize nothing else around us is going to change unless we have that. Moses would say to the Lord when God would tell him he's like hey Moses go ahead and let's just start over let's destroy these idol makers in Exodus we get this story and Moses he says God if if we're starting over if if we're not if you're not going to go with us then don't even move us from here i do not want to go anywhere Moses would say unless you are going with us there was this desperation and we've lost that and God is asking will you desire that again will you be willing to say unless God is with us, I'm staying here. Unless his cloud is picking up and moving, unless I know I'm being led by his spirit, unless I know that God's presence is with us, then why get pick up and do anything else? And so we're told that the psalmist goes from strength to strength, In verse seven, it says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfall, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And he's calling out for this strength again, that he would have a hope in God where he could praise him again and see redemption happen, as he says in verse five. And he's asking himself, soul, will you hope again? Why are you downcast? Will you hope Again? and he compares it to something he calls the valley of Baca. He says, "I remember these these valleys that I walk through, which Baca literally just means tears." He says, "I'm walking through this valley of tears, but I'm remembering the mountains that we have been to." He he references where Moses met with the Lord. He's referencing these mountains that were significant of where God's presence would reside. And he says, "As I'm walking through these valleys, that, that are literally filled with sorrow and my enemies are taunting me and everyone around me doesn't understand and everything that could go wrong would go wrong. And he says, but I remember God, what you have done. And I don't know if you remember the series we talked about last year, we had a series called looking back to move forward. And we talked about how the power of remembering God's faithfulness will allow us to trust him that he's got our future. And the psalmist here says, I remember what you have done. I remember what it was like to be in the throng of people celebrating and rejoicing. I remember what you did on that mountaintop. I remember how you brought us out of slavery. I remember how you have set me free. He said, but God, right now, that's not where I'm at. Would you do it again? Everyone around me is questioning if it was, if it was real. Where is your God now? And he comes to those same questions himself. And in verse five, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil? He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, my redeemer, and my God. He comes back to this place of hope. And as we recount God's faithfulness and express authentic desire to be with him again, hope begins to build. Hope begins to well up within us. And hope is, in essence, this waiting on God to act, to do what he has promised that he would do. And hope is focused on the glorious redemption of how he makes all things new, of how he can restore things that are broken and give us back things that have been lost. And that is the definition of here, what hope means to trust in God for a redeeming grace in our lives. Hope longs for the praise of God for the acts of salvation. Hope says, you are still my God against all odds of what I'm surrounded by. And in verse six and seven, he says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. He says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfall. I'm going to read it again. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He goes back to a lament. And I feel like, have you ever been in life where you feel like, man, I'm taking one step forward, but then two steps back? I mean, I feel like it's even been that way here uh, lately. I mean, it's even with COVID, it's been like one step forward. I think things are good. Like three steps back. Oh, no, wait, we're we're opening. We're back. We're back to work. We can get to, we get to do Sunday school again. We get to meet with the kids. We get, And then it was like, oh, I literally, I took a screenshot of a couple of churches this week. One was a sponsored ad by One Life Church who has multi-sites. Uh, great folks. One over by East Town, And they're they're literally promoting, here's what things are going to be like now that we're coming back in person this week. And then the very next one was my friend at Park West who was like, hey, we're, we're actually going to have online only. No more than 10 people in the building. We're really taking this serious and social distancing. We're going to be online. So it was literally two churches back to back in my feed. One like, we're coming back. Here's what to expect we're going back home. Here's what to expect. And it was like one step forward to take two steps back sometimes. And in your own personal life, it happens that way. Sometimes it's like just, just when you get things financially fit and it seems like then the well breaks and then there's water underneath my, we just got the house, but what, what is going on? Like, can't we get ahead to not fall back? And and, and it seems like every time we take one step forward, it looks like, okay, things are getting back on track. People are starting to come back, business is picking up. I think we're gonna be and they're like, oh man, then this happens. But God is faithful. And the psalmist reminds us that even in these laments, He's God isn't afraid to hear them. God isn't scared. He isn't surprised by our questions. And I think I don't know if you've been in circles that where maybe churches had shamed you from being real with God, with even having questions and doubts. Because Jesus never did that, even to his own disciples who said, no, I need a touch. I, I need to actually prove it, Jesus, that, that, that you actually have the scars. And he never shamed Thomas for doubting. He did prove it. And then Jesus goes on to even say, but better yet are those who will believe without even seeing, who haven't walked with me, but yet will believe. And I think sometimes we're afraid to come with our questions and be genuine and authentic with the Lord as if he doesn't already know what we're struggling with, with our, our doubts and our questions. And yet the psalmist says, it's okay. Just don't end there. Don't let that be the end of where you're struggling and wrestling with the Lord. Don't let your lament be your landing. And so he continues on in verse eight. And I love this. He says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. And he comes back to this expression of hope, of reflecting on how, yes, life can be that roller coaster. Life can be those ups and those downs. That is life. He says, but God, you command your faithful love in my life. In the midst of it all, you still sing over me with gladness. Even in my darkest night, you are still there pronouncing your love over me. Some of us need to hear that right now, that even in the darkest valleys that we could walk through, even if tears have become your sustenance and are feeding and fueling your life, that's the only thing you feel like you got to live for. He is saying, but yet my love is with you. Yet my love is for you. Have hope. Speak to your soul as the psalmist does and say, why so downcast? Put your hope in God, not in your circumstances. Put your hope in God, not in your situations because he commands his faithful love. This is the prayer to the God of my life, he says. And I was reading this last week, uh, and I I even shared it during, I think, our transition of, of last week's service. But Psalm 30, verses four through five, he says, Sing praises to the Lord. This is David. You, his faithful people, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And I've shared it before about how the roller coaster of life that we all live, right? There's so many ups and downs to everything we experience. We never fear that the mountaintop experience will be forever. We never fear that the good times will never end. We're like, oh God. I bet I'm going to keep getting raises. This is going to be terrible. Oh my goodness. I bet everything's going to keep going my way. Favor, favor, favor. Oh my goodness! what am I going to do? I hope it ends soon. We never fear that because we know that good things are temporary. We know that everything we experience has seasons, but we don't approach the low times of our life the same way. We don't approach the hard times and the, everything's falling apart. We're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be like this forever. That's how we, it's it's our flesh. Our flesh sees things and doesn't see hope. We have to speak to ourselves to see things spiritually and to remind ourselves that life has seasons and that even though his anger may last for a moment, even though we may walk through some things that cause weeping and our difficulties, they are not forever, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And his rejoicing that comes in the morning is like the rising dawn. It will grow brighter and brighter throughout the day in our life. And so remind ourselves to hope in the Lord that what is happening, it has its ebbs and it has its flows. This too shall pass. What we are experiencing as a nation, what you are experiencing as an individual, this too shall pass. This will not last forever. Will it look different? Probably will. But you know what will remain the same? God's steadfast love in our lives. And if we have a solid rock on which we can cling, then we know that we aren't gonna be sinking like those around us because our peace isn't based on what is happening around us. It's not based on an elected official. It's not based on an epidemic that is global. It's not based on any of these things. And now more than ever, that is what we have to cling on to. And now more than ever, that is what people around you are looking for. And so we have an opportunity to display Christ as we cling to him and remind ourselves of his faithfulness. Amen. And in verse nine, he goes on, he builds onto that. And he says, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And some of us, I don't know if if you have a time when you remind yourself of who the Lord is. And you wrestle with these things. Um, I was, We were at lunch last week with Meshach and Bethany, and we were talking about some of the things that uh, God is opening up in front of him to continue to go to uh, seminary and get his uh, MDiv. And he wants to get a PhD and he eventually wants to teach and pastor all these He's got all these dreams and he's kind of starting to move in that direction. But he was telling me, he says, he said, Pastor Michael, you know, in his Meshach voice. <laughs> and he was saying, he said, Do you remember telling us about that place you would go by the river? When you needed to hear from the Lord. And, and I was like, yes, I've had to go back there recently again. Like, I've had to get away. He said, in Malawi, that is a very common thing for pastors to do. He said, those that are in the city that have a little more money, they will go to a hotel room and just spend hours, sometimes days, just seeking the Lord and praying and getting his direction. He says, but for me, I was a part of the pastors that were in a different area. And we would go, he said, we would go to the bush. Literally, they would just go off to the woods for days on end to seek the Lord. And he said, some of the things now that I feel like I'm walking into, the Lord dropped in my heart when I was in the bush. I said, I understand that. But for many of us, we we need a place. We need, maybe it's a time of day. Maybe you've got a rhythm now of what you're doing and you're like, man, I I just, I need to switch up things so that my soul can begin to grow again. When you go to the gym, Christian, if you keep doing the same lifts, you're going to plateau eventually. You're going to have to switch up your regimen. You're going to have to focus on different parts of your body. Spiritually, sometimes we have to switch up our regimen. We have to switch up the time. We have to kind of shock our system, even spiritually, back into some growth. And be intentional about seeking the Lord. And if it's a place, if it's a time, if it's a location, if it's a song, I've had songs that have carried me through seasons, some good seasons, some not so good seasons, ones that take me back to a place of where I could bear my soul before the Lord, of where I could be my real self and receive his spiritual strength. So whatever it is for you right now, I just want to encourage you, find your place to say to God, my rock. You're the one on which I stand. While I may not understand if you're still near me, have you forgotten me, I'm not going to shy away from coming before you. He says, Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. He says, While they say to me continually, Where is your God? The psalmist continues on his roller coaster. He continues from hope to doubt to reflections on God's faithfulness, to lamenting and we'll see where he lands. But he says God, my rock. He says regardless of how dark the days get, how hard the situation seems, how daunting to face another day may appear, we have to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness that he is our rock. That is who he is. He is our place of refuge. We work with a lot of refugees um, with Kiko, and it's interesting to see just how unique they are when they come and they're acclimating that many of us, if we would understand that we need to take refuge in God's presence from the things of this world, that we can't continue to drink in the things of where we're at because it is toxic They have fled from something that was literally causing their life harm to come to a country where they hope they can find reprieve. And for us, we need that for our souls now more than ever. And God has said, come and be a refugee under me. As as I desire for you to come and be underneath my wings, he says, take refuge under me. We are called to be refugees under God's mighty faithfulness. And it doesn't mean that our questions go away, that they dissolve. It says, though, instead, we face the questions with the history of his faithfulness. And it says, don't forget. Don't forget his mighty power. Bruce, if you'd come up as I'm finishing this last verse. Pray something real snazzy. Make my words sound even better. That's what he usually does. But while mourning in agony of his own perplexity, the psalmist continues, he's facing the taunts of those around him, the jeering, the ridicule, and he finds himself asking the same questions that they're asking of him. Yeah, where are you, God? Have you abandoned me? Now, I don't know if you've ever found yourself there before, or, or maybe not even just for every area of your life, but a specific area where you're like, God, where are you in this? Where are you in this situation? Where are you? In, in the health of someone I love. Where are you in the midst of, I thought you were gonna provide for me. You're God, my provider. Where are you? And God's not afraid of your questions. He wants you to continue to come to him and watch him surprise you with his faithfulness. Remind your soul to hope in him that in our despair and in our delusion, disillusionment that we don't land there, we don't stay, we don't land in the lament, but we say, God, even as I'm passing through this valley, that may be full of tears, I'm going to remind myself that you have met with us on the mountain before, that these are seasons, these are ebbs, these are flow, and my heart will cry out. My soul will long for you and you alone. The appetite for God will propel us. And while we may be distressed, we may even feel disillusioned by God's silence. He wants to remind us that he's not far off. And in verse 11, the psalmist says this, he says, okay, soul, why are you so down? Why are you so cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then he says one more time, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The author starts with this hunger and this desperation to encounter the Lord, to taste and see that he is good once again. And he works through the laments of his life. He works through the difficulties of the way things just happen sometimes. And his disappointment echoes those around him of saying, God, have you left me? But he doesn't stay there. He comes back to speaking to himself and say, have hope in God. Don't give up. So let's remind ourselves of his faithfulness one more time. Let's remind ourselves that if God is for us, then who could be against us? That he says that he would never leave us nor forsake us. That if he really is the great redeemer, that his arm really isn't too short to save, that he's going to see us through what we're walking through right now. He's going to be with us in our relationships. He's going to be with us in our health. He's going to be with us in our finances. He's not going to abandon us. But the mind who is kept on the Lord, who will remind their soul to hope in him, Isaiah says that is who he keeps in perfect peace. If you want to walk in his peace today, continue to speak to yourself to hope in the Lord. Find your location where you can draw away. Find your time, find your rhythm where you can switch things up to cause your soul to yearn again, to long again, to speak hope again, that you wouldn't give up, that you wouldn't quit, that we would continue to speak God's faithfulness over our future because we've seen it in our past. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are a good God, that you are a faithful God, that there is nothing that surprises you in our life. That even when we don't understand or have it all figured out, that God, we don't have to. And we could come to you and say, we will hope in you again. We will trust you because we've seen you do it before. And if you're in this place and you just say, Michael, I'm walking through that valley right now. I'm walking through a period of time or a season or some things are going on in my life. I just want extra prayer. I need help even having and placing my hope in Him. If that's where you're at right now, I want to pray with you this week. Would you just slip up your hand? Yes. Anybody else that I can be praying with now? Yes. Yes. Amen. Anybody else? A few already. Yes. Lord, I just thank you for those that are saying, Lord, Lord, I need you. I need you to even help me to know how to hunger and thirst, how to even speak to my soul, how to even come before you. So Lord, we first and foremost, we throw ourselves upon you. We're dependent upon you for all things, for forgiveness, for right relationship with with God in heaven. And so we start there and we say, Lord, you satisfy us, but help us to continue to speak to our soul that we would be drawn back to you. As John the Baptist says, God, Less of me and more of you. Less of me and more of you. Would you let your steadfast love just overwhelm us this morning? As we leave this place, would you remind us of how you have been faithful? God, we've had some questions and we've even thought maybe we were ashamed to bring them to you. But Lord, we're going to be our real selves with you. We're not going to hide anymore. We're going to remove the mask. And we're going to let you speak hope and life. And we're going to see your salvation and redemption in every area. This is the good news. We don't have to do it. You already did it for us. So Lord, we just give you every area of our life again. We thank you that you're faithful, that you meet us where we're at. And you don't leave us here. Thank you for allowing us to lay these burdens down. Because you care for us. Your deep love, it is for us. Nothing can be against us. We worship you in this place. It's in your name I pray. Amen and amen.